0: Welcome to episode 181 of the Fitness Simplified podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. Today's episode is a Q&A episode. I threw a question box up on Instagram. And wow, you all came through with some really fantastic questions. Great topics today. We're going to talk about how do you dive back into fitness and nutrition after a life hiatus. We're going to talk about the type of cardio women over 40 should do. We're going to talk about how do you truly change your lifestyle. So this person says, like, I always go back to my old way of eating, even if I had a sustainable diet. So how do I really change my lifestyle? That's an interesting subject. We're going to talk about what women over over 50 can do to prevent soreness. This person says it's becoming a real problem for them. Maybe it is for you as well. And we're going to cover a couple of other really interesting subjects about training uh, and nutrition and weight loss today. So let's get to it. Hello friend. I am excited to be, well, <laughs> I'm excited to just be home. Quite frankly, I've spent the last month. I just got back from vacation a few days ago and I was gone for an entire month. I was either traveling or for the few days I was home, I was hosting house guests and it's been an entire month of that travel or house guest. And as much as I loved that, we saw beautiful places and hung out with family and friends. It was great. I feel kind of run down from all of it. And I'm, I'm just thriving on the idea of normalcy and schedule. And I love it. Our last trip that we just got back from um, beautiful, beautiful trip to Bermuda. If you haven't been to Bermuda, highly recommend out of all of the like island type places I've been. I think it's my favorite. Uh, Okay. Hawaii. Hawaii is amazing, but that's really far. I live on the East coast. We've gone down to the Caribbean a lot. The islands are beautiful, but there's just something about Bermuda that I just loved. The water is so beautiful. It's so many different shades of blue and one is more brilliant than the next. It really, the water reminded me a lot of the colors of the water up in Alaska when I went to Alaska last summer, except the only difference is uh, you can swim (laughs) in the water in Bermuda. The temperature is perfect. It's everything about Bermuda was perfect. Loved it. Also love that I'm home, thrilled to be here uh, and to do a QA episode with you. So I went on Instagram and solicited questions. And wow, you came through with some really great questions. So we're gonna tackle, I think it's six. Uh, don't quote me on that. I think it's six that I decided to talk about here. Gonna go really deep on some of these questions. Um I think you're gonna find some things here that you really resonate with. Actually, I'm sure you will. So we're gonna start it off with a question from Paula. And Paula says, How does one dive in again after a life hiatus? That's a really great question. Now, I'm not sure exactly what you mean about dive in, like specifically, what, what have you been away from and what are you getting back to? So I'm gonna go like big picture and just we're just gonna, for the sake of this discussion say that you've been away from all of fitness and nutrition things. So, you know, healthy eating, strength training, daily movement, all of that. We're just going to say for the sake of this discussion, you've been away from all of that. And you're coming back in because you didn't specify it might relate to you, Paula, or to someone else lifting at lift, hello, listening that it was just like one of these things. Like maybe you've just been away from the gym. Totally fine. Um, you'll be able to kind of pull from this what you need. We're just, for the sake of this uh, discussion here, we're gonna go with, okay, we've been away from all of it, all of the healthy eating, working out, moving, all of that, and we're coming back to it. That's how this discussion is gonna go. So the first thing I would suggest you do is really think about and deal with your emotions around this pause that you've taken. Because working from a place of guilt or shame, embarrassment is not productive. So get really clear on the choices you made and why and own those choices. And frankly, maybe it wasn't even a choice. You know, I was down and out for over three months with my complications from long haul COVID. I totally get the feeling of being sidelined and needing to make a comeback when it was not even your own choice. Like I did not choose to take the hiatus I took. And frankly, it was, it's been not quite three years ago now. It's been like two and a half years. And um I still, I still feel very I want to say angry. Sometimes I think to say annoyed, but I do get angry sometimes about the fact that this happened to me. And I still constantly have to work through these feelings because I'm not still a hundred percent health wise. I still have a lot of complications left. Um, from my bout with long haul COVID. And I'm still not back. Look, I was 50 years old when I got it. I was in peak conditioning. I was in peak strength, uh, peak leanness, best shape I've ever been in my life when I, when I got COVID and I've not quite made it back to where I was. And I do get upset about that sometimes, um, still to this day. So I get, um, that there can be really intense emotions around the hiatus one takes, especially if it is forced on you and not one that you took, but it's important to deal with that. Um, Okay, so if it was a choice to take this hiatus, and you felt like it was the best decision at that time to step back from your fitness pursuits, you need to own that decision and say like, yeah, that's that's what I felt like was best for me, and now I'm moving forward from that and not doing it from a place of guilt. Um, maybe you look back and you have a little bit of regret and you're questioning like, maybe that wasn't the right choice. Maybe you had some all or nothing thinking about that break. You know, spend a bit of time thinking on that. Use that to, uh, in the future, make a different choice. So maybe if a similar circumstance like this comes up again, what would you choose that wasn't taking a full hiatus but wasn't business as usual either? It sounds like something had to give in your life. And I am speaking to Paula, but I'm also speaking to all of those of you who are in similar circumstances here. Maybe something had to give. There's a whole lot in between taking a full hiatus and training three to four times a week, getting your seven to 10,000 steps in, your 150 minutes of zone two cardio, eating all of your protein, right? There's a lot of gap between not doing any of it and doing all of it just the way you had been doing. So that's the first step is to kind of really think through the hiatus, how you feel about it, start dealing with any emotions around that, choosing to not come at this comeback from a place of guilt um, and regret, but using it to Uh, Look forward to what you would do in the future, owning those choices. The second thing I would suggest you do is to get clear on where your head is now and consider what feels more in line with where you're at right now, baby stepping back or jumping back in with both feet, because there's no one right approach here, but there is an approach that's going to work better for you right now you might feel super motivated by returning to the gym three to four days per week and hitting your full step goal and increasing your protein and on and on and on. Or the idea of doing all of that might feel really overwhelming. If that's the case, just choose one thing or max choose one nutrition and one exercise movement type goal for the first week or two. Okay, so just choose one or one nutrition, one exercise movement. Do that for the first week or two. And then you can fold in others as you're feeling really confident and competent in those those one or two things. So maybe you choose to hit 100 grams of protein and go to the gym twice per week. And you do that for a week, maybe do it two weeks. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling like I can um, add in a third day or I could add in some steps. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I'm going to start by adding in drinking a protein shake every day and hitting my 7,500 steps every day. And so you start there and fold things in. So that is a really good, um, that's a really good approach, but there's also nothing wrong with saying like, you know what? I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling motivated and pumped to like hit the gym uh, three to four days. I'm feeling motivated to hit my protein and hit my calories and do my steps. Like I'm really ready. And you can go that route. Now, I do want to talk specifically about returning to strength training after a long hiatus. You're going to feel sore like really sore the first week, more sore than you usually do. It's gonna go back to like the first time you started training, the last time you started training after a break. We can help mitigate that by starting with lower volume and lower intensity and ramping up. One way to do that is by doing just a single set of each of the exercises in your training program, one set of each exercise, and keeping the intensity for those sets at a six to seven RPE, really focus on your form, get back into the routine of lifting. Don't focus on lifting really heavy for this first week. One set of each exercise, six to seven RPE, focusing on that form in your routine. By week two, you can add on the rest of the sets and then start increasing that intensity up to that eight or nine RPE. So that's specific to your training. With all of the thinking about all of this together, the training, the nutrition, the movement, the last piece of advice I'm going to give you here to like, how do I actually get back into it is to get support. Okay. Get an accountability partner, a group, a coach, get all three of those things. You are way more likely to be successful with support and community and accountability. Awesome question, Paula. All right. Next question is from Shiny Penny. Shiny Penny wants to know thoughts on putting your feet on the bench while doing a lying dumbbell or barbell bench press. So, the answer to this is going to be it really depends on your goal. Like, what are you trying to do with this uh, chest press? Are you trying to lift max weight? Right? So, if you're trying to lift as heavy as possible, we're going to want to keep those feet down on the floor. And you're going to want to really work on using your legs. It surprises a lot of people that I work with that your legs have anything to do with a bench press, but they absolutely do. You can do use what is called leg drive. And so your whole body should be active during a bench press. It is not strictly just an upper body exercise. So you're going to get your whole body tight. You're going to have your glutes squeeze. You're going to squeeze your clods, your clods, (laughs) your quads, you're going to have your feet firmly on the floor. You can't have like dingle dangly legs here. You got to have those feet firm on the floor, firm on the floor, or up on a platform. My son actually built me a platform because no matter what height bench, I bought a new bench, no matter what height bench I had, I could not get my feet flat on the floor and I was tired of stacking up plates. It's a really good idea to stack up plates to get your feet so you can get them firm on the floor. Um, So my son built me a little, just a little wooden platform that I can haul under my bench to get my feet firmly on the ground. So however you're going to do it, you're going to get your feet firmly on the ground. And then as you're lifting, you want to think about as you press the bar up, shoving your toes through the front of your shoes. So shoving your toes through the front of your shoes, that's going to really use your legs to help throw that weight up. So that's if you're looking to lift maximum weight. If you're like, that's not what I want. I want to just really isolate my chest. Um, and I don't really like having my feet down. Like I like, I feel uh, more secure with my feet up on the bench. I can't really relate to that because I do not. I do not like the feeling of having my feet up on the bench. I feel like it's a really small base of support. I do not feel really stable. So even if I was working to just isolate my chest and was trying to keep my legs out of it, I probably would not go with, uh, legs up on the bench, but there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to have your legs up on the bench, totally fine. Um, If you're working not on max weight, you're looking to isolate your chest and you feel secure with your feet up on the bench, totally fine. What I don't want you to do is pick it because um, your feet don't reach the floor. (laughs) If your feet don't reach the floor, put something under them. Put something under them so you can feel really secure. I also don't want you to do it. I've had people say like it bothers their back that again, you want to work on addressing where you're putting your feet on the floor and how they're they're there. What's probably happening there if it's putting stress on your lower back is that your feet aren't quite hitting the floor and you need something under them. So I hope that helps, shiny penny. You have options. All right, the next question. This is from Julie Roth, 1984. Julie says, "Should women over 40 be doing hit, list, zone two, or sit?" This is sprint interval training. And she says, that's the newest one I've heard of. All right, this is a great question. So I wanna come back to the physical activity guidelines for Americans. If you're listening, you're like, but I'm not from America. Know that these guidelines are also in line with other guidelines from around the world, like those from the World Health Organization. Very similar guidelines. The guidelines state that for adults, we should be doing a minimum of two times per week resistance training, a minimum of 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity, or minimum of 75 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic activity, or some combination of the two of those. They also say we should move more and sit less. And, you know, research supports the idea that moving more is associated with all kinds of good things, including a lower risk from dying from all causes. So getting your steps up to at least 7,500. So with those guidelines in mind, let's look at each of those forms of cardio you mentioned. So you mentioned hit and SIT. So sit is sprint, um, sprint interval training hit is high intensity interval training and sit is a type of hit. The difference between the two is that sprint interval training is shorter in duration. So it's like 10 to 30 seconds of all out effort followed by a rest and hit is a little bit longer. It's like 30 seconds to four minutes that was a really crazy siren that just went off. I don't, I don't know what that is. A sit hit is about 30 seconds to four minutes of all out effort followed by a rest. And with both of these, you're repeating these blocks of work and rest. Both of these are going to fall in that category from the guidelines of 75 minutes of vigorous intensity aerobic activity. So you could absolutely, and I would say over time, you should be incorporating some type of these, um, Vigorous intensity aerobic activity. I think they're really important um, for your overall health. So that's not a place to start. We're going to talk in a minute about when to add these in. So that's what the, the sit and the hit is. We're talking about that vigorous intensity aerobic ac- activity. And there's definitely a place for that for women over 40. All right. So then lists. what is list That's low intensity, steady state. This is your just general steps. This is, I'm just walking around. Um, and there's definitely a place for that. Like I said, the guidelines call for moving more, sitting less. Research supports the idea that the more steps we have across a day it is associated with a lower risk from dying from all causes. There's all kinds of positive health benefits. So definitely getting in that list is useful. And then we have the zone two. And I've got, I've got a full podcast, I think maybe two podcasts on zone two, um, but just a quick refresher zone two, we're talking about moving, um, whether that's walking or jogging, whatever it works for you to keep your heart rate in a zone. And you can do math and figure out what the zone is, but you can also use what's called the talk test. And that means when you're walking and you're or running and you're in zone two, you should be able to talk. You shouldn't be able to sing. And when you're talking, it should be obvious that you have some labored breathing. It should be obvious. If you were on the phone with somebody, they should hear in the sound of your voice that you are exercising. It shouldn't just sound like my voice is now. Neither should it sound like I can't I can't get a word out, right? So it shouldn't be that like I can't speak at all. It also shouldn't be like I'm speaking like normal. It should be a little bit labored. You can get out a sentence. You couldn't sing. That's what the zone two kind of area is. And that's that 150 minutes of moderate intensity activities that the guidelines call for. So that's a place for that there. If you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to do all of this? How am I getting getting all of this in? Remember, there's overlap there. There's overlap here. And you don't have to do them all right at once. So here's how I introduce these to the women I work with in Fitter After 40 and all of the clients I've had um, over the years. This is how we typically do it. It depends, I will say it depends, if a person is already highly involved with one of these, like if that's a person's a runner, I'm not gonna be like, hey, we're gonna back that up. But if a p- person comes to me and they're like not really doing much of, of any of this or they're doing just a little bit, what I typically do is we start with the steps. So that's that low intensity steady state cardio, right? So we start with steps, uh, giving them a step goal. Then I pay attention to what their goals are If their main goal is fat loss, I'm going to have them focus on their nutrition, getting in their steps, and strength training. And that's where we're going to keep the focus for a while. Because there's only so much time, energy, and attention and effort a person can give to a certain thing in their life, right? Fitness is not the only thing in everybody's life. As much as as the influencers online might try and make you think it's the only thing that you should be paying attention to, it's not you have lots of things going on right you've got uh, you've got loved ones you've got maybe kids you've got jobs you know hobbies community things going on you've got a life outside of fitness and so there's only so much time and energy and attention you can give to your fitness and if your main goal is fat loss i'm going to have you start with those that step goal paying attention to your nutrition and your strength training i do over time want you to get in that 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity. It is important for your overall health. It is important for your longevity. So we do want to add that in. So that would be my next stop is adding in that zone two cardio, which by the way, it's not in addition to your steps. That will count towards your steps. So not all steps are going to be zone two, but any zone two is going to count towards your step goal. So it's not necessarily increasing your total time Doing cardio here, you're just doing it with more focused intention there. And then once you've got a nice good base of doing that, we can add in either the sprint interval training, the high intensity interval training, some combination of the two in really small doses. This is something I would have people do one to two times per week maximum. And not everybody has to do that. I do think it's a great addition. I would by the way if you're like I've never run before I've just you know been doing my zone 2 with steps I wouldn't just be like all right now I'll start sprinting. <laughs> I would have you do um some slower running first um and then we could add in the um sprint interval training. We do I do have sprint um hill sprints programmed in for my members who are in my alumni group from Fitter After 40. The alumni group, some of these women have been with me for two years at this point. Um, And it is an optional piece of their programming that they can do some hill sprints. So don't be intimidated by all of those different things. And I know you specifically asked for women over 40. The things that we just talked about apply broadly to everyone. If you're worried about like Is this appropriate for me as a woman over 40? Absolutely. All those things I just talked about are appropriate to you. Don't buy into the nonsense that we are fragile, that we're frail, that we can't do these things, that it's not good for us, that it's going to cause us to gain weight. Um, You definitely want to work with your level of energy. Lack of energy can be a really big issue for women in perimenopause, in menopause. And so you can kind of tune into how you're feeling any one day to be like, what am I capable of doing today. I want to work with the energy I have. Maybe I've had a really long string of nights where I had insomnia, or I was dealing with night sweats, or I'm just feeling low on energy. And so maybe I'm not going to be doing hit or SET. Maybe I'm really just going to be working on my zone two, or maybe even just my low intensity, um, steady state cardio. And that's okay, but it doesn't mean you can't do those other things, but you can work within how you're feeling at that current time. I hope that helped Julie um, let me know if I can help you any further with that question. All right, next question. This is from Allie Rogers. Allie says, how to truly change your lifestyle? I always go back to my old way of eating. My diet was sustainable. Okay, so Allie hit on a really important point that is high on the list of making your fit lifestyle stick with her last comment there. She commented, "I how did she put it? My diet was sustainable having a sustainable diet is going to be key to making your fit lifestyle stick. If Allie had said like she was doing the cabbage soup diet or doing Optavia, I'd be saying, yeah, was it any wonder you went back to your old way of eating? Who can stick with that stuff, right? So if that's you, if you're listening, you're like, okay, like, yeah, I know that the things I've tried to lose weight, they've not been sustainable. They're not any way that I would want for myself to permanently eat. That's step one is to find a way of eating that can be sustainable. For Allie and for anybody else who's in a similar situation, maybe you were like, I was eating in a sustainable way. Like I had a moderate deficit and I was not banning certain foods. My question for you is if your diet was sustainable, why didn't you sustain it? What were the stumbling blocks? Okay. What were the stumbling blocks? So again, if you chose like a crash diety kind of a thing or an extreme diety, that's a huge piece to address. We're going to skip over that. Because Allie has that locked and loaded, and this is her question. And we're going to talk about other possible stumbling blocks. So if you had a sustainable diet, why didn't you sustain it? What are some of the possible reasons? Let's talk about environment first. So what's going on with your environment? The people, the places, and the routines that you have, were they conducive to supporting your new way of eating? And it's a possibility that they just were not. Some examples of this are things like your, your routines. If on the weekend you do Friday night pizza and Saturday day drinking and watching the game and Sunday brunch and then potluck with friends that night, those are routines that do not necessarily support a healthy lifestyle that's going to help you maintain your weight. That makes sense, right? Uh, The people, maybe your partner loves to eat out and likes to eat chips in front of the TV and invites you to join in. Maybe you don't have a community or social support doing what you're doing, you know, wanting to eat for health and fitness. You know? That could be a piece of the puzzle here. And then we think about places. Those are kind of mixed into those other two examples. If you spend a lot of time in front of the TV, if you spend a lot of time, um, maybe you're like, our hobby is wine tasting. All of these types of routines, the places, the events are not necessarily conducive to supporting your new way of eating. So giving consideration to new routines, to important conversations with those people in your life who are... um, really important to you? What are the difficult conversations you need to have with them about things that are important to you and how they can support you? What can you do in terms of bringing social support on? What are new routines you could introduce to your life? That doesn't mean that you can't do any of the old things, but can you do those to a lesser extent? And maybe you start doing things like, um, you know, you join a hiking club or a kayaking group, or you, um, instead of You know, some of the other things you're doing, maybe you join a a club or get a group of friends together to do something that's not food-based. Okay. So these are some things to think about that don't actually have to do with the food itself, but about your environment, your people, your places, and your routines. So give some thought to that. I know that's a really big topic. That's what I want you to kind of get percolating on there. Also, remember that changing how you eat isn't just about The food. You have to change how you think. You have to change the beliefs about who you are as a person. It's not just about the food. It's not even about the environmental things I just mentioned, but it really does come down to changing how you think and how you believe about who you are as a person. I want you to give some thought to this question How does staying in your current situation benefit you? Not changing your lifestyle at all. What is the upside. And if you're thinking uh, there isn't one, that's why I asked this question, then tell me this. Why would you stay if there isn't an upside? You're there for a reason. Maybe it feels comfortable. It doesn't require anything of you. Maybe you're not a person who likes to rock the boat and you don't really want to rock the boat. Give some thought to how does staying in your current situation benefit you? Write it down. Like, Don't even just think about that in your mind. Write that down. And then after that, I want you to give some thought to the you that you want to be. When you get that vision in your mind of that future version of you who has the fit lifestyle that you want, who is eating healthy, who has um, the level of fitness and the physique that you want, when you have that vision in your mind, what can that version of you do that the current version of you can't? How does she move her body? How does she eat? What does she do on the weekend? What habits does she have? How does she feel? How does she look? Okay, when you think about that future version of you, I want you to write the answers down to those questions. I just So pause this, go back and listen to those questions I just asked you and answer them. What will the you, that future version of you, what will be possible for her that isn't possible for you now? Really give that some thought and compare and contrast like where you are now to that future version of you. Really, the missing piece for you here seems to be that you changed how you eat, but you haven't changed your thinking, your routines, your environment, and your support system. My best suggestion for you is to get some coaching to help with this. Now, shameless plug here, this is 100% in my wheelhouse. This is what I do inside Fitter After 40 I coach women to make those specific changes. Yes, we talk about the food. We talk about a lot. Yes, I give you calorie targets and protein targets, but we spend a lot of time helping you change all of those other things that are critical to making the changes stick. And it's a lot of work to change those things. I'm not going to lie, but man, it works to make those changes stick to actually change your lifestyle. Now, doors open to Fitter After 40 in just a month now, and I would love to coach you through this. If you're listening to the things I just said, and you're like, light bulbs are going off, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is why I lose weight and I gain weight, because I'm not changing all of these other things, I would love to coach you through this in Fitter After 40. And when I say coach you through this, I mean we will literally have conversations about these specific things in your life. It's not going to be just me generally, like here on the podcast, I will be asking you questions. And then you will give me answers. And then I will ask you more questions about your answers. And I will help you discover the changes that you want to make that are going to long-term change your lifestyle. Okay, so that's my job. I don't give you the answers. I help you find the answers in your own life. The waitlist is now open. The doors are going to open August. I think it's August 24th. It's a Thursday. Uh, and you can get on the waitlist anytime between now and then you will get a discount and some really good bonuses if you're joining from the wait list. So the details, you can find them in my show notes, how to join. Um, the link is also in my Instagram bio uh, and at kimschlagfitness.com. There's a tab there for Fitter After 40. Uh, so I'm gonna find the name of the person who asked me this question. Where was it? It was way up here, Allie. Allie, here for you. Think through those things that I just that I just kind of highlighted. Think through like which one or likely ones of those um, stand out to you that you're like, yeah, I didn't change these things. I hope that helped. All right. Next question is from Christina. Christina says, what can women over 50 do to prevent soreness? It's becoming a real problem for me. So Christina, first thing I want you to know is you are not alone. In fact, a majority of menopausal women report muscle and joint aches and pains as major symptoms. And so many of us, like we shake our heads in wonder thinking about how we used to be able to like sleep in a ball on the floor at our friend's house in college and spring right up in the morning. And now if we sneeze wrong, we can't turn our heads, right? You're like, oh yeah, I I think about that kind of thing all the time. Both aging and menopause play a role here. There can be slower healing of our connective tissues. Our connective tissues are less elastic. If you think about it like a rubber band. Younger used connective tissue is like a rubber band fresh out of the package. It's all stretchy and springy and pliable. And now your connective tissue is much more akin to a rubber band that you left out in the sun for a few hours. It's lost a lot of that elasticity. As your estrogen declines in menopause and in the menopausal transition, it can increase inflammation. It can even impact our pain perception in our muscles and in our connective tissues because there are estrogen receptors in many places in the body, including in structures in your brain that are involved in sensory processing and pain perception. Okay. So, with all of that said, what can you do about your soreness? A couple of things that I want you to focus on here recovery, warm up, and then specifically what you're doing in your training. Let's talk about recovery first. This is important. It's going to include fueling properly and some other things. Your training is only effective in so much that you can recover from it. So let's do what we can to aid that recovery. The first stop here when we're thinking about recovery is making sure that you're eating enough total calories. Being in a permanent deficit, not cool, especially if it's an aggressive deficit, which isn't to say that you can't lose weight if that's your goal, but we want your deficit to be a moderate deficit, not a super aggressive one. And we do want you to have periods of your life where you're at maintenance. You should not be constantly living in a state of a calorie deficit. Okay. Then when we're also considering your nutrition, we want to make sure that you're eating well. So you're eating enough and you're eating well. So nutrient dense, minimally processed food, should make up a huge percentage of your total nutrition. Like 80 to 90% of your nutrition should come from those nutrient-dense, minimally processed food. We wanna make sure you're getting lots of fruits and vegetables and plenty of protein. Our protein needs actually increase with age because we become less efficient at synthesizing, digesting, and absorbing protein. So we need to get more to compensate for that. So if you've been skimping on protein, now is the time to focus on upping it. So you want to think about 0.8 to one gram of protein per pound of body weight or per pound of goal body weight if you have a lot of weight you want to lose. And in relation to this topic at hand, the role of protein is going to be it helps you to recover. It does lots of other good things for you, but it's going to help with your recovery. Okay, so that's the nutrition piece of recovery. We also want to focus on sleep, enough sleep and good quality sleep. This is a huge topic, and honestly, it can be such a struggle for women in midlife. We've got night sweats. we've got just general um, insomnia. Listen to the podcast I did; I'll put it in the show notes. With um, I always want to call her Sleep Doc Shelby because that's how I know we're on Instagram, but I actually know we're in real life too. Shelby, Doctor Shelby Harris. Um, I do a podcast with her. I'm going to put the, put it here in the show notes. Uh, she is a sleep expert we will talk a lot around the idea of increasing both the quality and quantity of your sleep. I also have an entire module on improving sleep with action items in Fit or After 40. We spend an entire module on how to improve your sleep quality and sleep quantity. It's not just information, but it's action steps to help you to do that. So enough sleep and good quality sleep. And then the third piece of recovery is other restorative activities. So for some people that might be warm baths. For other people, cold baths might help more. We're thinking about things like yoga and other gentle forms of movement like mobility work. So that whole that whole cluster of things falls under the idea of recovery. What can we do to aid your recovery? So that's chunk 1. Chunk 2 is to make sure that you're doing a proper warm up. This is not the time in life to be skipping your warm up. There may have been a time in your life where you're just like, I'm not warming up, I don't have time for that. And it worked out okay for you. Right now, that's not necessarily going to be the case. So what does a proper warmup consist of? So I want you to start with a general cardio warm up, five to 10 minutes on cardio equipment or walking outside, just nice and slow. We're gonna warm up your muscles. We're gonna warm up your joints. We're gonna get your heart rate up five to 10 minutes on any kind of cardio equipment or outside walking. Then after that, let's do a dynamic warm up. Five to eight dynamic stretches. These are stretches with movement. This should not take long. Okay, we don't want to do a full workup, full workout of warm ups. Nobody has time for that. So we're talking another five to six minutes on these dynamic stretches. And then the final stage of a proper warm up is going to be warm up sets taken through a full range of motion for your main move or moves of the day. So your first one or two exercises, do ramp-up sets. What does that look like? Let's say your first move of the day, your main move of the day on a lower body day is a Romanian deadlift, barbell Romanian deadlift. So to warm up for that, we could have you do five reps with the empty bar, add some weight, do three reps, add some more weight, do two reps, getting ever closer to your working weight. And then after you hit two reps, you go up and do your first working set. Now, this will obviously take longer to ramp up to if you are somebody who is very strong and you're lifting really heavy. It's gonna take you longer, more sets to get up to closer to your working weight. This is not the time to scamp on your warm up, ladies. Make time for it. It doesn't have to be laborious. It doesn't have to like be like another full workout on top of your workout, but you're going to feel better. You're gonna perform better with a proper warm up on board. All right, and then the last piece I wanna talk here um, about in terms of the soreness you're feeling is specifically what you're doing in your workout. If you do all of those things that I just discussed, you're warming up, you're working on your recovery as best you can, and you're still struggling with soreness, let's try tinkering with what you're actually doing in your workout. So we can reduce overall volume. This could be fewer sets. This could be fewer exercises. You can also, that's where I would start first, is just doing a little less If you do that and you're still really sore and you're still working on that recovery, you're warming up all those things, you could work on reducing the load. Okay. There's obviously definitely value to pushing heavy weight. um, But if you're not recovering from it right now, we can reduce the load. There's also the option of reducing the range of motion for specific exercises if that seems to be exacerbating your soreness. Let's just say you have just incredibly sore quads it's really bothering you, you know, reducing your range of motion in your squat and your lunges, you could toy around with that. Um, I'd look first to those other things, like re- fewer sets, fewer exercises, that's still not helping, reducing the load, um, looking at those kinds of things. I hope this helps. Um, I know it's no fun to feel overly sore. I'm, I'm going to say that with a focus on that recovery, focus on warming up, um, and then possibly toying with what you're actually doing in your workout, you're going to get feeling good again. Remember, always working. Remember, why am I repeating myself here? Really consider how you're feeling on any one day. And I spoke to this earlier in the episode. Um, you don't necessarily feel the same every day. And you can uh, can and should adjust what you're doing to how you're feeling. You know, this time of life, you can be incredibly symptomatic for a period of time and then feel great. And so in those times when you're feeling great, uh, don't be afraid to push yourself, right? Really focus on recovering well, warming up well, and then push yourself hard when you can. And if, and when you can't give yourself grace and do a little less. All right. Next question. This one is from JC Smithica. JC Smithica says, how do I cope with insomnia from a calorie deficit? This was an interesting one for me because I got to be honest, this is not something I hear a lot about, insomnia from a calorie deficit. Um, For sure, I've talked to people who have trouble falling asleep at night uh, because they're not eating, because they're hungry. Like they're super hungry. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The question I have from you, not from you, for you, how steep of a deficit are you in and how long have you been in this deficit? One of the things that can indicate that it's time for a diet break is hunger. Like if you're ravenously hungry so much so that it's impacting your sleep, this could be a sign that it's time for a period at maintenance. Okay. That would be my first question for you. If you've been in this deficit for a long time, if it's a steep deficit, let's consider a time at maintenance, a maintenance break. And if you're like, no, that's not it. I haven't been in a deficit for that long. I have a nice moderate deficit. uh, Then I would have you consider how you're spreading your calories across the day. There is nothing wrong with top loading your day with calories, not eating that much at night. It's a strategy that works well for a lot of people. Um, Nothing wrong with that at all, but it just might not be working for you. And so consider adding in a snack an hour or two before bed. Think about adding in something that has a slow digesting protein, like possibly a casein protein powder mixed with yogurt. You can make like a protein pudding, cottage cheese, like cottage cheese with fruit. That's a good option. doesn't have to be anything heavy an hour or two before bed and see how that helps you feel. I did chat with um, Dr. Harris, Sleep Doc Shelby about this. We happened to be chatting and I mentioned to her this question and I said, is this something you're familiar with? And she said, actually, no, this is not something she um, has seen a ton. Um, There's not research to support the idea that Calorie deficit causes insomnia," she said. Anecdotally, she does see people having more sleep disturbances, specifically with intermittent fasting, that that can impact um, their waking up. So, if you are intermittent fasting, this might be a time to back away from that and try another method of uh, inducing your deficit that does not involve fasting. Um, so, try these things out and see what you can do. Look to, to how. What's your total calories? How long have you been in a deficit? Can you add a snack in at night? If you're intermittent fasting, let's try a different approach. Good luck, JC Smithica. Let me know if I can help any more. There. And then our last question for the day comes from somebody whose handle is The Scoops. And The Scoop says, "Where do I start? I am overwhelmed with nutrition and fitness information. What is step 1?" All right. What I want you to do first, The Scoops, is a detox. Now, anybody who's listened to me for a while might be just like, your jaw just hit the ground, right? You're like, I'm sorry, what? Don't worry, (laughs) it's not that kind of detox. I want you to do a social media detox. Just keep a few voices you trust and that have similar messages on board. That overwhelm can be real of like, there's just so much information coming at me. And I'm drowning in opposing voices. That's a really real thing. And I experienced this in the business realm on social media. I was following so many possible business mentors about how to grow my business, how to create a course. Fitter After 40 is the course. And when I wanted to create that a couple of years back, I was really looking into different avenues and how to approach it. And there were so many different voices. And some people are like, don't create a course. That's a terrible idea. And other people are like, it's the best thing you'll ever do for your business and on and on. And I made an educated decision about who I'd listened to and who I wasn't going to listen to. And I honestly, I muted everyone else who I decided not to listen to. It doesn't mean that they're not valuable or that they're wrong. It was just not who I was going to listen to right then. And that's what I want you to do, okay? Listening to all these opposing viewpoints, having so much input as to what you could possibly do, it's just too much. So since you're listening to me now, I hope that I will be among those voices you keep. If you want suggestions for others to... Listen to who are in alignment with me so that when you're on social media, you're getting a consistent message, consistent advice. Here are some people you can consider. Carrie Lee Fitness. Carrie's going to be on the podcast here in a few weeks. Um, Jordan Syatt. Jordan is a long-term mentor of mine. Uh, He helped me get into the online fitness space. His message is incredibly um, solid. Definitely recommend Jordan. Spencer Nadolsky. Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Incredible content there. Susan Niebergall. Uh, Beth Ferracco, a newer one to um, I just had on my podcast recently, Dr. Plantel. She is a doctor. She um, talks about health. She talks about uh, plant-forward eating. Really, really well done um, social media platform. So those are some people I would recommend. If you don't like swearing, don't pick Jordan and Beth. I will tell you, I'm not a swearer, but their swearing doesn't bother me because honestly, they're just. They're just really good at what they do, but just heads up, if you don't like swearing, maybe Jordan and Beth aren't for you, but give them a chance. It might not bother you so much. Their content is really, really um, good. Okay. Now, it is awesome that you have been gathering information. When we talk about a person being ready to change, that information gathering is part of the change process, and it's a good sign that you're ready for change. The next step, though, is action. And it's easy to get stuck in that information gathering phase. As good as that is, if you get stuck there, it's not good. And so we need to get you acting. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you something you can do. I want you to know. It's not like the be all end all. It's not like the only step forward, but you need a step forward. So I'm going to give you one. I'm actually going to give you two. If you feel like you can handle just one, I want you to just do the first one. I'm going to be really specific because I don't want you to have anything to have to like, uh, ponder over. I want you to just be able to act. Okay. So I'm going to give you one thing and then I'm going to give you a second thing. So the first thing I want you to do is to move more. Specifically, I want you to add a five to 10 minute walk after each meal. After your meal, you stand up, you go outside. If you can't go outside, stay inside. You walk for five minutes to start. If you think you can handle 10, go up to 10. If you're like five's all I can do, great. Start with five. After every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you stand up, walk five to 10 minutes. If you want to clear your plate first, fine. Clear your plate from the table. Don't even do the dishes first. Okay. Five to 10 minute walk after each meal. That's the first thing. If you're like, okay, I think I could do more. The second thing I want you to do while you're continuing to do that five to 10 minute walk is to spend a week writing down everything you eat or drink. If it goes in your mouth, you write it down. You don't need an app. Just get a piece of paper, pen, write it down. This is going to help build awareness of your current eating habits. You're going to notice patterns. You're going to see what you are and are not eating. That's the second thing I would have you do. Now, here's the last piece of advice I want to give to you. If you can, hire a coach to help you. A coach is going to be able to give you specific action steps like I just did. They're also going to be there to help with accountability and troubleshooting. Now, I did this when I decided to build my course. I did not go it alone. I chose a person who was an expert at building online courses. Her name is Amy Porterfield. Uh, and I listened to her, I hired her, I did exactly what she said. Uh, She put us in groups in her course to have people there who we could be accountable to our timeline. Uh, She was available uh, for troubleshooting, we could ask questions, and it really impacted my ability to be successful and the speed at which I was successful. And that is what I recommend to you. Hire a coach to help you. Again, Fitter After 40, shameless plug. If you don't want to join Fitter After 40, if you're like, I'm not even 40, I just like your podcast. Every coach I mentioned earlier, except for Dr. Plantel has a coaching program. I think Spencer does. Yeah. They all have coaching programs. So if you're like, ah, I'm not a good fit for fitter after 40, look at one of them um, for their coaching programs. If you're like, wait, I am 40. Consider joining fitter after 40. We start the day after labor day, the day before labor day, we start labor day week, start labor day week, sign ups are next month, get on the waiting list if you're like all of these things really resonate with me like I need somebody for accountability. I need somebody to tell me do these things. I need somebody to help me troubleshoot. like I want to get from point A to point B faster. That's what coaching can help you do. I am here for you. if you're like I do have some more questions for you but I'm not ready to join your course, hit me up on Instagram send me um, a DM there or email me cam kim at and I'm gonna catch you next time right here. On the podcast. Have a good week, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here.